Thank you for your word. Thank you for the history of how the gospel moved throughout these portions of the Roman Empire. We saw it last week moving into Macedonia, and now we focus once again on this church where the gospel went and their partnership with Paul and with his team. Lord, we pray that as we look at these things today, you would illumine this word to us and show us how to apply it to our lives in particular. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got your bulletins handy, I'm sorry, I know I told you to have your Bibles, but grab your bulletins for a moment and just look at the verse that is printed on the front of your bulletins. I'll read it for us. The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. That's the, uh, that's the King James version of this verse, and I liked it more than the ESV. It's a very literal translation of what you have there, but it's a little punchier than the ESV version of this verse. And one of the reasons that it's punchy is because, of course, it uses the word fat in English in a way that's a little bit different from the way that we commonly use the word fat. This is a positive use of the word fat. We kind of think of that as a negative thing. But nevertheless, sometimes when we read it in in language that is just a little bit different or that is a little bit older, it helps it to stick in our minds in a little bit of a different way. So that's what we're looking at today. The liberal soul or the generous soul, the soul that is committed to blessing other people will be fattened. It will be, I believe, enriched is the word that is used there in the ESV. If you want to use or if you want to think of the pattern of the psalm series that we were in a couple of weeks ago, or a couple of months ago, excuse me, you can think of today's sermon as being the fat soul or of fattening our souls. And in the economy of God, common assumptions are reversed. How do you get fat? Well, you don't get fat through consumption. You don't get fat through storing things up, through saving things for yourself. In the biblical economy, you get fat as you give. That's the idea that's being communicated for us here in Proverbs, and we're going to see this in Philippi as well in this city. How does that take place? What's the basis by which that takes place? It is these words of Jesus that are known to you, that are simple to us, that are clear. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. That reverses the way the economy can typically work and increase. Your soul will be fattened as you seek another's joy. That's what the idea is that we're working through today, and that's exactly what is happening here in the letter to the Philippians. So you've got Paul and the Philippians, and Timothy and Epaphroditus. They're all getting fat because they're engaged in a gospel-grounded competition, a competition to produce joy in one another. That's what they're trying to do, a a gospel-grounded competition to produce joy in each other. So let me unpack that by looking at this passage before us today. This competition is an unusual competition 
Because the competition, and this is what the, the first thing I want to think of, the competition begins with the fullness of joy. Now, typically speaking, when we think of a competition, we think that we start as competitors from a common basis. We start without the prize, and we work towards the prize, whatever that is. But this competition is different because it begins with fullness of joy. Now, it has a, this is going to be a little bit tricky here for a moment. It has a pursuit to it, but that pers- uh, uh, let me, I'll, I'll come back to this in just a moment. If we compete, we compete with one another on the assumption that there can be only one. There can be only one of us who wins this prize. If you win, I lose. And if you win, you have, and I have not. Now, I didn't like losing as a kid. I have matured just a little bit over the course of the years. But that's the idea of competition that is inside of us. But gospel-grounded competition begins with fullness of joy because it begins with us possessing together fullness of Christ. It belongs both to Paul and to the Philippians. Both of them have the fullness of adoption in Christ, the fullness of the possession of Christ. How do they have that? So, so in other places in Paul, including chapter 3 of Philippians, he talks about pursuing after something. And in just a moment, we're going to talk together about pursuing joy. He is pursuing something that is coming to him, the fullness of joy in the last days. Okay? That is held out there as a prize, being in Christ, the fullness of joy. But what has happened in these present days is that prize, that heavenly joy, that last day, end times prize has broken into the present in the gospel. So he has, they have together, the end already. They have the end already even as they pursue this together. And that helps us to understand what is going on here, how you can possess something that you're actually seeking to try to get together. They have fullness together. You can appreciate the challenge that Paul has here. Paul is trying to say, very simply, thank you for the gift that you sent my way. But as he's doing that, he's trying to be very careful because he doesn't want to communicate that if he hadn't received that gift, that he would be impoverished in some way. He doesn't want to communicate that he had insufficiency, insufficiency of fullness in Jesus Christ. And so he struggles with saying that. Verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need. I want to thank you for something, but I don't want to thank you in a way that makes you think that I had a particular need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I'm appreciative of your gift, but the reality is that in Christ, I have what I need. Verse 13 is a verse that uh, is, is a well-known verse for us. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It is a verse that is loved by teams in athletic competition. It is a verse that some athletes write on their tennis shoes. Uh, It is a verse that some athletes uh, put in black underneath of their eyes. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, through him who strengthens me. But 
This verse is not designed for us to create Christian superheroes. It is not designed for us to create Christian superstars who can do whatever they want. Rather, it is a statement about fullness in Christ. And it is a fullness in Christ that enables us to endure all situations, whether they be a situation of plenty or of want. Both the Philippians and Paul have fullness of joy in Christ. That's where this begins. That's where this competition begins. They both have a fullness, and yet, and yet, because they have this fullness, and they are here right now, this is broken in, they are still pursuing more joy. They are looking for an increase of joy. In particular, what they are looking for is the increase of one another's joy. Paul asks himself, what can I do to increase the joy of the Philippians? And his response to that question, what can I do to increase the joy of the Philippians, is I can share the good news of the gospel with them. I can teach them the word of God. I can testify to Jesus. I can live for them an exemplary life. And I can share news with them about how the mission is going and how things are going even while I am in prison. The Philippians, conversely, have always asked themselves a question. And the question that the Philippians have asked themselves is how can we increase Paul's joy? Paul's question was how can I increase the Philippians' joy? The Philippians' question was how can we increase Paul's joy? And as he recounts it here, they have been doing that since the very first day that Paul walked into Philippi. They did it when Lydia said, you have to stay at my house. And she prevailed upon them. Come into my house and let me take care of you. The jailer did it when he gave them food, when he ministered to the wounds that Paul had. And then when Paul and company leave Philippi and travel to Thessalonica, to a city nearby, we read that the Philippians sent help several times to Paul while he was in Thessalonica, and then when he was forced out of Thessalonica to go further down south into Athens, they once again sent help to him. In other words, they gave. They supported him. They sent money to Paul for the advancement of the gospel. They helped him once and again. So, the Philippians are trying to make Paul joyful. Therefore, when they read verse 10 from Paul, or when they hear this read to them, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. They probably look at one another, high-five one another, fist-pump one another, yes, yes. This was our mission. Our mission was to increase Paul's joy and see he admits it. He admits that we did exactly that. That is their joy to see him joyful. But, but Paul is rarely to be outdone in competition. And so they have to keep reading what Paul has to say here. And Paul turns it around. He says, listen, I did receive this gift, but I want you to know that I'm not really joyful about the gift itself. Nice, helpful, glad you did it. But what I'm really joyful about is what increases to you. Verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. 
My joy is that you, in your giving, have stored up credit with God. You have done something beautiful before God. And that is my joy. I'm rejoicing, Paul saying, that you got the greater gift of joy. Not me. You got the greater gift because why? Very simple. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. This is a tough competition. You give, in this case, money because you want to support, and you end up getting joy more than you have given. Now, please note that there's no promise here from Paul of all sorts of things. Paul isn't selling them a little prayer towel uh, or saying to them, listen, if you send me money, I'll pray for you. My prayers are special, uh, and good things are going to happen to you if you come. You're going to get a fattened soul. Paul is rejoicing in a fattened soul that is coming to them as a result of this. You think you're emptying yourself. You think you're emptying your pockets. When you find out from Paul, who says, my God will supply, verse 19, my God will supply every need of yours according to his glorious riches in Christ. If there was ever a full and inexhaustible store of riches that are available to people who give, it is the storehouse, it is the treasury of Jesus Christ. It is open to us as we seek another person's joy. In this case, as they take out, as they give, the riches of Christ are given to them. Paul says to the Corinthians, a verse that is familiar to us, he says the phrase, if I have not love, I gain nothing. If I have not love, I gain nothing. I was reading through John Piper, and he gives this thought about that verse. He says, take out the double negative. Take the double negative out of that equation. If I have love, I gain. I gain if I have love. The competition begins with the fullness of joy. But it has a desire for the increase of other people's joy, but it ends up, even as it has that desire, in getting thrown back on itself again, because love is gain. Love is my gain. When I love, when I give, that is my gain that is given to me. Paul is so committed to this, and and both of them being committed to the other's joy end up being committed to their own joy as well, that Paul is willing to use his own joy in this letter as motivation for the Philippians. Philippians 2.2, what he says to them is, complete my joy. He knows how committed they are to his joy, and so he can use that to say, complete, you you want to make me joyful? Here's how to do it. Complete my joy. And we'll turn back to that in just a moment. Complete my joy. Or verse uh, 1 in chapter 4, you are my joy and you are my crown. So we've got a fullness of joy. We've got a pursuit of more joy. What are the means by which? How do you go about this? You've got two people seeking after joy, but it keeps coming back on top of us. 
How do you seek another person's joy? Well, very practically speaking, we've already mentioned them from this passage. For the Philippians, that was in uh, their giving. And for Paul, it was in his ministry to the Philippians. Now, when we're talking about joy here, I want to be careful of one thing. I want to I be careful that we're not just talking about flowery words, nice things that are said. We can seek another person's joy by hard things that we have to say as well. And I, if, if you want to, you can turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. But listen to how this doubles back on itself. Paul is concerned for the Corinthians' joy. He says this, For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. You see it going back and forth over itself. Paul is concerned about their joy. He has to write pain, but he knows that they too will be concerned about his joy in responding well to the letter that he has written. But in Philippians, if we wonder, okay, well, how do you make Paul's joy complete? What will we do to increase Paul's joy? Well, then from chapter 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. How do you make Paul's joy complete? You are joyously of the same mind, joyously united in love, and joyously committed together to seeking someone else's joy. Paul says, you want to make me joyful? Be committed to seeking someone else's joy. That's how you make Paul joyful for the Philippians, and they are doing that. I'm sorry to be reading a lot of verses, but I want us to get a, a sweeping sense of this exchange that's going back and forth. Verse 19 of chapter 2. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Paul is looking for cheer from news of them because they have just received it. The letter has gone back to them through Epaphroditus. He hopes to send Timothy too because Timothy would then be with them, come back to Paul, and Paul would be cheered up by this good news. And then look at how this plays out with Epaphroditus. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for all of you and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. He's not distressed because he was ill. He's distressed because the Philippians heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill. He was near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. How's Paul going to be less anxious? Paul's going to be less anxious when the Philippians see Epaphroditus. When they see him well, that relieves Paul's anxiety for the anxiety of the Philippians. It keeps turning back and forth 
over on itself, this pursuit of another's joy. So we've got fullness of joy. Then we've got the pursuit of joy. We've got these various means by which one goes about pursuing another's joy. And lest this all seem a bit horizontal to us, a bit focused on one another. Where's the seeking after the Lord? Where's the seeking after the kingdom of God? Then Paul reminds us in this passage that these kind of things, this kind of seeking another's joy, that this, in fact, is a fragrant, this is verse 18, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And then, of course, he ends with the doxology in verse 20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This gospel-grounded competition to outdo one another in producing joy in another person That's tremendously glorifying to God. Jesus said this, what you have done to the least of these, you've done to me. Christ is so united to his people, so in union with them, that when we serve one another, then God, then Jesus is receiving glory and praise because he has implanted that within us through the working of his spirit. To expand the metaphor here a little bit, altars, okay, Paul is using Old Testament language. Altars are not just to be found in Jerusalem. Altars are all around us right now. They're the poor. They're the needy. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. They are our actual family members, our neighbors. They are the altars. And the sacrifice that we have to offer is not some bull that we need to pull out from somewhere to lug behind us. The sacrifice that we have to offer on that altar is seeking their joy. When I seek the joy of the person around me, that is the sacrifice that I am putting on the altar. And that is pleasing to God. When I seek the joy of another, it is a pleasing sacrifice, a pleasing and pleasant aroma to our God. Calvin then is reflecting on this, and he says, Alas, alas for indolence, accursed be our indolence, our laziness. And I would add for us, away with stingy service, away with our selfishness, away with reluctant token giving, away with just doing barren duty and trying not to be interested in anybody's joy, away with seeking accolades, away with a parasitic approach to caring for other people whereby I care for them and yet I'm feeding off of them because I need something away with all of that, away with my own concern for my personal impoverishment if I give too much. May God renew our zeal to seek another's joy and so to find in that riches inexhaustible. All right, so that's all well and good. How are you going to apply this? Seeking another's joy. How to apply this today? Perhaps, 
Perhaps you're listening to this today. This is a passage about giving the Philippians had given to Paul. And perhaps you're saying, you know what? I need to consider the way that I'm giving to the church. This was not my intent today, that you should consider giving to the church in a particular way, but perhaps that's what the Lord lays on your heart as a result of this. Let me give more generously and sacrificially to the church. Let me think about how I can save up some money to give to the next building campaign. Maybe that's a way you can apply this. Perhaps you can apply this by following the Philippians' example and supporting a missionary directly. If you've never done that before, you can support missionaries by your giving to the church, and you can support them by giving them to them directly as well. Perhaps you can apply this passage today to think about how you can stretch yourself to joyously serve more in the life of the church. Perhaps you need to do some self-examination. Perhaps as it relates to your Christian walk and your Christian service, you have got yourself into kind of an economy of scales approach. You've kind of got everything balanced in, in, in the way that seems just right to you, but you've forgotten the lavishness, the excessiveness, the generosity of the gospel that then transfers into the life of the people of God. Seeking another's joy. If you will allow me, though, I'm going to put a sharp point on the application of this today. This is the principle. You seek the other's joy. This is not particularly what Paul is talking about here, but I want to sharpen the focus of this today and apply it specifically to one set of people and then let the rest of you apply it as you need to. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, joyously seek the joy of your wife. Make her delight your delight. Compete with yourself to outdo yourself in showing joy and creating joy in your wife and seeking her joy. This applies to the mundane aspects of life, How do you care for the normal, everyday aspects of life? How do you care for the details of taking care of the kids and of making sure that they're at the various places where they need to go? It applies to you as you perhaps join with your wife in interests and hobbies of her. It applies as you spiritually care for your family. If you want to seek your wife's joy, spiritually care for your family and you will find her joy to be increased. And it applies to the artistry of seeking particular and special ways that are unique to you and unique to your wife to express joy, to give her joy. I had us read the passage from Chronicles uh, this morning. Many of you know that's a favorite passage of mine. There is no strategic value for David to the water of the well of Bethlehem. He doesn't actually need water. All he is doing is sitting around the campfire expressing an old desire that he has for some tasty water from a well that he knows from his youth, and it would be great to have it. And three mighty men hear that. They listen, and they look at each other and go, did you hear that? That's a want that just got expressed. I, I heard it. Did you hear it? Yes, I heard it. And these three mighty men 
go through the territory, whatever they had to do around the Philistines, through the Philistines, whatever, to get David a frivolous want. A frivolous want. They respond to it. They bring it to him. Why? They're seeking another's joy. They're seeking David's joy. And David, not to be outdone, pours it out. Brothers, I, I can't drink this. You are more valuable to me. What you have done, if I drink this, it'll look like the water is more valuable to me. The water isn't more valuable to me. You seeking my joy is more valuable to me. You are more valuable to me. That's what happens. That's the economy of how this works. Husbands, use artistry and seek by the grace of God to be a lifelong student in how to joyfully seek your wife's joy. All right, to all of us then, just this wrap-up. Jesus has sought, he has bought, and he has secured our joy. He's bought it, he sought it, he secured it. It is ours now, and it will be ours to eternity, in eternity as we pursue it. He has inexhaustible resources, the riches of the glory of his grace that, is a, that are available to those who will join in that mission. Engage in the mission of giving and seeking joy in another, and that opens up. That opens up the inexpressible, the inexhaustible riches of the kingdom of God. So hear the promise again. Let it stick inside of you. The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself.